Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Stuff is going well in this season and you're singing louder than everyone. Because when we sing, your goodness is running after me, that's you. You just got a promotion. Your marriage is just going, ascending from one level to another. The prophets are coming in. Your body is behaving. Uh, the chikala is not showing up. And uh, I mean, life is good. Oh. And you're like, Man, I can't wait to go to garage and give thanks to God. And then at the same time, in a crowd this big, there is someone who's, you feel like you're at the bottom of the pile. You feel like you're at the bottom of the pit. You feel like for you, there's only one way, up. You feel like you're in a position where if you go any lower than where you are now, Stuff is not going to be good. You, uh, the marriage is not as good as it should be. The body is not mis- behaving well. Uh, there's no promotion at work. Your critical relationships are strained. And uh, I don't know. The money is scarce. There is more month. At the end of the money. And uh, as people are singing, your goodness is running after. Uh, maybe yours, you're singing it out of faith. It's not as loud as you would love it to be, but you're like, okay, God, I'm going to sing something. And you're also here. I want you to know that I know you're here. And more importantly, God knows you're here. And he knows where you are. He sees those tears that no one else sees. He sees the pain that no one can touch. Have you ever been going through pain which no one can really touch? No amount of words they can say. No level of comfort. There's no amount of shopping. Come on, somebody. Can touch it. And you're here. Those people are here. And then between those two extremes, there is so many other people on that spectrum from really, really well and really, really bad. I want you to know God knows you're here. And this is a a safe place to be. Amen? As we talk about our Father's love. We are continuing with our series, Our Loving Father. This is actually the last segment in this series. Next Sunday, we start a new series, and I need you to invite everyone, all your enemies, oh no, friends, enemies, and then there are those who you're not sure. Are these friends? Are they enemies? They're called frenemies. So, friends, enemies, relatives, in-laws, outlaws, just bring them, because next Sunday we're starting a series, The Ministry of Finance. The Ministry of Finance. The other day they read the budget 
and uh, we want to read some heavenly budget here. Come on, somebody. Yes, we want to explore God's mind pertaining to our finances. And uh, if you're missing business garage, by the way, it's so dope. Is that word allowed on stage? Like, it's so good. My God. <laughs> this business garage is going so well. So uh, one of those days when you feel inspired to wake up at 7 a.m., come for business garage, there is coffee and tea. As you realize after this service, there is soda. Business garage, it's coffee and tea. You get to meet people who are the kind of people you need to meet to take your business to the next level. Amen. So that means your finances next week. So this is the last segment, and I'm excited to teach from the book of Jonah. We rarely teach from the Old Testament. And uh, today we are here. So the main thought is that our Father is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. That's the thought I need you to go with. Uh, our Father is gracious, merciful, slow to anger. So some of us, our first impression of God was Lissodene, the big-eyed one. The one who scrutinizes all your movements, trying to find out what wrong you have done so that he can respond with appropriate punishment. Right? The fear of punishment. So there are so many people who live in the fear of God, but not the good fear. It's not veneration of God. Rather, it's pet, uh, what's, what's the word? Uh, uh, petrified by God. They're like, God! No, petrified. Is that the right word? Okay. I need like language consultants on the front. So, please, Evelyn, you, you know. <laughs> People who live in utter fear of God. Because in their mind, God is looking for anything wrong you have done so that he can wallop you. And in fact, some people extend it further. They go like, no, 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 no. In fact, your, your wrongs are not enough. Now, you're not only going to be punished for your wrongs, even your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents' sins. Eh. So we end up with that perspective of who God is, and then we wonder why we struggle in our relationship with him. How many of you have friends, if you could call them such, hmm? who have the spiritual gift of criticism? Hmm? They are obsessed with everything that is wrong about you. Like the moment they see you coming, they just get fresh revelation about everything that's wrong about you. Their hair is not well put. 
Uh, the shoe is the wrong color. The style is a little bit of two months ago. The handbag is not matching with what else? Huh? The what? That's the wrong cologne. Smell good. <laughs> what else? Like, uh, the, 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 these just they dwell on your wrongs. Right? They dwell on your wrongs, right? How many of you have those friends? And it is one thing to have them. I mean, life may have dealt you the wrong hand and you ended up with those friends. But the last time I, I checked, friends are for choosing. It's not like family members you're born with. But let's say you have those friends. How many of you are enthused, excited about spending time with them? You're like, even now, you're like, Mose, hurry up. My Sunday afternoon is my time to go and see my critical friend. Like, you can't wait to go visit this guy, this girl who just sees everything wrong about you. You're excited to go and be girl with them so they can point out all your issues. It's quiet. No takers. Why are they no takers? Because, let me tell you something. You already have sufficient revelation about your own weaknesses. You don't need too much help. <coughs> you, you get the idea? You don't need help. Most people, okay, all people, know their weaknesses. When people go into the mirror, what are they looking for? You think people go to the mirror to look for their strengths? Let me look in this mirror and see how well arranged my hair is. What are you looking for? The one that is out of place so you can put it in what? Right. That's what you're always looking for. Amen, ladies. I mean, at one point, I, we didn't have mirrors in our house for like three years. So I never looked in the mirror for like three years. I would always get shocked when I go to the bathroom here and I'd be like, oops, here, there I am. <laughs> See, yeah, I, I could live without mirrors. No, no, the girls had their, you know, portable mirrors. Now, why am I saying this? You'll be like, by the way, I haven't started preaching. This is just the social care baby for the message. <laughs> no one in their right mind wants to hang out with people who are dwelling on your weaknesses. You can have friends who can want to help you get better. Now, don't misinterpret this to mean go back to your low-lying going nowhere, uh, lost it in life, uh, sort of friendships, and you all lie down there. No progress. That's not what I'm talking about. Even people who want to help you make 
progress. They don't dwell on your weaknesses because there's no way you can make progress when someone is dwelling on your weaknesses. They actually are enthused about your strengths and those weak parts, they keep helping you up, but they are not dwelling on your weaknesses. Am I making sense? All of that to say that our Father, God, is not that kind of friend. So I urge you to stop considering him thus and actually spend some time with him. He's not dwelling on your weaknesses. Amen. Amen. Because he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And when he wants to help us get better, guess what he uses? It's in Romans chapter 2. He says, Know ye not, KJV, that it is the, good, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is ability to turn away from something bad into something good. He actually, God actually uses his goodness to, to turn us around. I'm sure you know those, if you have ever been involved in a habit, that guilt doesn't help. Yeah, like you can decide to be the guiltiest possible and then you continue doing it because guilt doesn't help, right? So now there's a story here that's very interesting about God trying to show mercy to a whole city in the book of Jonah. Let's read together. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Wow, wow. I didn't know that. No, maybe I did, but God is very specific here. That these guys, it's not just an individual or a couple of people. The whole city, their level of wickedness hath come up before the Lord. Like, the, the Lord is like, oh my God, these guys have elevated wickedness. You know people who give sin a bad name? I remember this story. Uh, but his dad used to tell us this story and we would always laugh. I think he would forget he told, that, told it to us. So he would tell it again and then we would always laugh. That there was this guy, he worked for a certain African government that I will not name and he was in charge of a road project. So they managed to shave off some width of the road and the quality and he made quite some money and bought large pieces of land and built a country home. So when his friend from another African country went to visit him and they went to this plush grandiose country home. They're like, wow, this is, a, this is incredible. Where did you get the money to build this? He said, do you see that road down there? That is it. <clears throat> so the guy just, you know, the he just understood. Do you see that road down there? This house is as a result. So now, this guy went back home. He was also in charge of the same sector. So, several years later, this guy goes to visit this guy, and he has even a more awesome sitting on manicured estates, acres upon acres of house. He says, oh my goodness. 
Where did you get the money for this? So you see that road down there? He says, which one? <laughs> which road? <laughs> so this is, there's even no road. So this guy started really getting angry with, this, with his friend. He says, you're giving corruption a bad name, my friend. <laughs> so there is evil, and then there is evil. You know, like evil, you know. <laughs> it just goes to another level. One day is a clear road. One, it's just no evidence. So anyway. So these, these Ninevites were such. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go and tell them God is going to smoke them out. Now Jonah had better ideas. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Interesting story. Now, if you haven't watched the VeggieTales version of this story, I urge you to watch it. Look for it. You, it's so much better than the, part, the one in the Bible. Okay, maybe. But it comes alive. You know what I'm saying? Like the VeggieTales version is really good. Personally, the only version that's better for me than the vegetarian version is the one I come up with in my head. Because it's even more... Yeah. So, so, so this guy, you're supposed to be going to Nineveh. Where do you go? Tashis. It's a bit like, go to Busega and tell those people, ETC. And where do you go? Where you get it. And God is like, I sent you to Busega. You went to Buegere. You're like, they both start with B. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. Yeah? So this guy was going in the opposite direction. Why? The Ninevites, Nineveh was part of Assyria, the empire of Assyria. And those guys had been fighting with Israel for many years. So they were enemies. So in Jonah's mind, when God shows up and says, I am going to wallop those guys if you don't want them, he's like, oops, finally we can deal with this problem divinely. Do you know there are Christians who actually would prefer to see other people suffer, apparently on the hands of God, to fulfill their own private agenda. So that Jonah was behaving exactly like that. He's like, oh, God is going to wipe out Nineveh. <laughs> Good idea. I will not go to tell them. So he was like, he was like now acting on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. You know like when you were young and uh, this sibling rivalry thing, then someone does something wrong and you're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you go to what? Kulopa them 
because you know they are going to get something. And that usually was the end result. They got something. But what happens when for some reason some spirit you can't tell from where comes upon your dad that day and instead of ministering the expected result to this fella who has done something wrong, they, they forgive them. You'd be like, no way. That was Jonah's problem. He really wanted God to smoke those guys out. And he knew, Jonah knew, you see later in the text, he knew that if he went and warned them and they turned away from their wickedness, he knew that God would not punish them. He knew the heart of God. He knew that God was gracious and compassionate and if he goes and tells them, God will not punish them. So that's why he decided to go to the wrong place. Are you with me? Now, the interesting thing he says is that he was running away from the presence of the Lord. Now, you know that the truth is you can't run away from the presence of the Lord. He says that where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? In Psalms 139. So, some of you who are running away from God's assignment, do not assume that when you finally run away, that you left God behind. Because as Jonah got to find out, it didn't work. Because God found him on the ship and shook it. So this running away from the presence of the Lord is a figure of speech, which means you're not really running away from the presence of the Lord. You're running away from God's will and assignment for you. So when you're running away from God's will and assignment, things can be interesting. Look what happened here. We skipped a lot of verses. But it says, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then we skip all those verses in between where they tossed dice and decided you're the one. And, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here is the thing I was saying. God's instruction for you. Did, did you know? Did you know? That's how Kakdi starts his conversations. Did you know? Did you know that there is such a thing called the will of God for your life? Did you know that not everything you do is God's will for your life? Did you know that <laughs> you don't just wake up and like, I'm going to be this, I'm going to do that, and, that's, and God says, whatever you want. You know that that's not true. You understand, yeah? Yeah. Like God has a will for your life. He created you. He has a purpose for you. So when you decide to take another direction altogether, sometimes you experience challenges that you shouldn't be experiencing just because you're in the wrong place. And then you will pray, you will cry, you will fast, but you're in the wrong place. How many of you have run those road races? which we call marathons around here. A marathon is 46 kilometers. What you've been running is a road race. 
Half marathon is 23 kilometers. But I'm sure you, some of you have attempted a 5-kilometer, 10K. 10K races, people. Are, anyone here? Some people are even wondering what I'm talking about. <laughs> They're like, run? Run? Who is chasing me? <laughs> like, why not drive? Anyway. So when you enter a marathon race, there are going to be supplies along the route. Water, glucose, they put glucose. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh, oh no. No, 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 no. You've taken us a different direction, Big. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. So, I don't know what kind of running you're talking about. <laughs> ORS is for another kind of running. Not, not marathon. <laughs> so, there's water, glucose, first aid kits, you know, the whole thing. But those things are along the prescribed what? Route. So for you, when you decide that you're so clever and you take another route and you don't find any water there. And then you start saying, it's unfair. It's unfair. Why do those guys get all the water? No, 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 no. You're on the wrong route. God only makes provision for his assignments. God doesn't make provision for your assignments. Some of us have this idea that whatever you want, you can always ask, tell God to come along. God, we are going to do this, so please follow me. <clears throat> no, no. God is going to be like, for your sake and the sake of everyone, your friends, your children, and your great-grandchildren, thanks but no thanks. Because if I start following you, you are now God. <laughs> he refuses to come along. Mm. This part is making people a little uncomfortable, I think. The amens have gone down. But that's the truth. That's the truth. Sometimes you may be and you're just living your life. And you've not stopped to ask God, is, is this it? So anyway, so this guy... Jonah decides to go. Now, they, it's one thing to be there. You're living your life. Like, God has never given you any specific instruction. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. Marry whom you want. Do whatever you want. I haven't come yet and told you, do this. It's another when he has been expressly clear. Go to Nineveh. And you're like, does it? So, what's God's reaction? So the guy got on the wrong ship. And what did God do? He sent a submarine <laughs> to take him to the right destination. Why is God going to the lengths? Can't he find another prophet? You know some of you, you see, they, they didn't write about everyone. They wrote about Jonah. Some of, some of you here, you want to live like your friends you went to school with, you are still on those WhatsApp groups of primary. 
class of, you know, 2001. A post university for some people here. group, you compare yourself with one another. You want to fit into the crowd, and yet God has called you for something extraordinary. There are some people who it's okay for them to go to Tashish. They've never been told to go anywhere, anyway. When you've never been told to go anywhere, anywhere will do. There are so many anywhere people. You are not one of them. Tell your neighbor, I'm not an anywhere person. Are you following this message? There are some people here, you're special. For you, you're not just supposed to marry anyone. You're not just supposed to do any kind of business. You're not supposed to just build a house in any part of the, of the city. You, 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 for you, you... Uh, uh, uh. Tell your neighbor, I'm one of them. You have specific instruction on how you're going to change the world. And while there were many people in that city that God never came and spoke to, he spoke to Jonah specifically. And when Jonah goes a different direction, God is all like, ah, after I have 500 others, can't you also go to Nineveh? And he's like, what? I'm going to find you. Some of you, God is going to find you. And I'm telling you right now, you may think, Moses has gone back to Old Testament. No. No, no, no. The story is in the Old Testament. The principle is universal. When, as, when God has called you for something special, even if you hide, he will find you. Ask Paul. Ask Paul the apostle. That's New Testament, by the way. Book of Acts. The guy is on his way to Damascus. Continue to destroy the church. He's on a, a horse. At midday. Three days, no sight. New Testament God pulled him off that horse and gave him three days to think about his life. <laughs> three days, no sight. Hidden in some basement in, what was that city where he ended up? Damascus. Yeah. Three days in the belly of a, uh, a whale. <laughs> New Testament. When God, what, let me, let me, you may be thinking God is just malicious. No, 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 no. What's driving God to these extremes? God is worried about the Ninevites. God's heart is beating for these sinners. The Bible says they didn't know their left hand from their right hand. You know, people, people who are so evil, they don't even know when they are being evil. Like evil is normal. There are people like that. They no longer have a conscience. And God, God's heart is bleeding for these fellows. Remember the Ninevites, Assyrians, don't have a covenant relationship with God. The people who are God's chosen people is who? Israel. Why is God overstretching his resources to reach these people who, who he shouldn't ordinarily be caring for? Hence the one campaign. Because God loves all people. God cares about all people. And he has to depend on those who have a relationship with him, like the people in this room, 
to take his love to those who don't yet have a relationship with him because they are self-destructing in sin. I was like, how do I reach these people? I was like, you go. You think I, have, I wanted to be a pastor? You think I, I used to dream? You think I used to dream of, oh, one day I will be a pastor and preach every Sunday three services. Oh, how nice. No! No! Pastoring was not anywhere on my dream scale. I, I still don't know whether it's even there up now. I'm doing it, but seriously. Like when I was young, in my younger days, all I ever wanted to do was join the military. Yeah, that was my ideal thing. Military, things are straightforward. Say yes, sir. When they say turn right, you turn right. Now, this other job, you tell people go right, they go left. <laughs> Pastoring is the exact opposite of being a commanding officer. <laughs> exact opposite. I'm just warning those of you who are going to be pastors, and you are many. I just need you to know. You know that covers all we like lost sheep have gone astray. <laughs> like, oh man. Huh? Why is this astray? Anyway. Some people got it. Now, <coughs> why is God sending this guy into all those enzymes? <coughs> why? Because of his love for a city. Now, it's one thing to think God loves people. Yes, God loves people. But do you know God loves cities? Like God can be there and his heart is beating for a whole city. Like Kampala. And his mind is on Kampala. He's saying, who will go for me? Who will tell those people how much I love them and how they can turn away from their self-destruction of creating traffic jams where there shouldn't be any by creating three lanes instead of waiting. <laughs> like we need the, the gospel of traffic. You get what I'm saying? So that's the thing. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and says that for the love of God compels us. KJV says the love of God constrains us. That's like the love of God constrains us. The love of God compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. It's the love of God that compels us. It's the love of God that should be compelling Jonah. It's the love of God that compelled Paul and I hope for the life of God it's the love of God that compels me and it's the love of God that should compel you. It's like when God looks at all these lost people and he has put his eggs in one basket and that basket is you and you decide to go to Tashish instead of Nineveh. He's not going to ignore those, that lost city. He's going to redirect you. He will use all, all his resources. If he doesn't have, he will borrow. He will borrow. You find yourself surrounded by enzymes and plankton. 
If you don't know the meaning of that word, you need to read a little wider. Because I can do a survey right here, ask your neighbor the meaning of plankton. You're like, Agambi Akachi? I always tell people, be, read widely huh? so that you can engage in conversation. You know, you can survive on charm for exactly three minutes after which you had better have something to say. If all your volume of knowledge is about what you do professionally plus the club you support, You'll never walk alone. No, you will walk alone at some point if you do that. So, so it's, it's, it's important to be, yeah. Anyway, so, so, so that you can at least preach. Because now, plankton. You know plankton? Whales eat plankton. Uh, the blue whale eats plankton, largely. But there are other whales which eat other things. So we don't know which one this one was. So you can imagine you're inside there, and then you're being joined by all sorts of other things that are coming in. They want smells. What I don't even know how he's, he was breathing. Maybe he found an air pocket in the stomach of the whale. Somewhere where there is sufficient air to survive. But can you imagine drowning in yak? <coughs> now, my, my problem is some of you, you're too serious. So... I don't know. Maybe you need someone to tickle you. So you're there, green stuff, green stuff, green smelly stuff. And you have to fast. Of course you're fasting. If you open your mouth, you're you're dead. Then you start praying. Now let me tell you, when you are in such a place, you don't pray organized prayers. These ones over here. Dear Lord God, sir, we thank you for today. Thank you for today. Guide my footsteps as I go to work and bring me home safely. Help my boss not to yell at me today. Yeah, paradventure in Jesus' name. No, that's not how you pray in a, in a, in a, inside a stomach. <laughs> <laughs> help Lord help I'll go wherever you want me to go get me out of here oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> and that's day one <laughs> by day two you are in the prayer of silence and contemplation you are meditative, you're in meditative prayer I will make it out of here I'll make it out of here. By your grace, I'll make it out of here. And you repeat for 12 hours. That's what happens when you're in trouble. So that's how Jonah prayed, I believe. Uh, And and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It did not vomit him in Tashish. (laughs) It didn't vomit him at his desired destination. It vomited him at the Lord's desired destination. I'm telling you, some of you, God is going to call you. And you start trying going your way. Team, no sleep. You're wondering why you're bothered. Why are you the only one annoyed about that particular thing? Everyone seems okay except you about it. 
God is the one calling you. You see, you see all the kids that are walking around without adults. For you, just see all the kids. Other people, they don't see anything. You just see all the kids. Why? God is speaking to you. Maybe you, you see all the lame people. Everywhere, anywhere you see someone using a crutch or what, your heart stops a bit. Other people, nothing happens. Mm, 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 mm. So I don't know what God is calling you to do, but please don't go to Tashish. <laughs> let's go to Nineveh. Anyway, let's finish. Because I can end up telling stories that are not related. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now I don't know whether this revelation came to Jonah in the belly. We are not told. But in the conversations recorded before, God never gave any timeline. He just said, go warn them. But by the time he came out of the belly, he had a timeline. Forty days. He's like, okay, it's warning you want. Yeah, I have it. Can you imagine, you have your whole sermon summarized in one line. Because he never preached anything else. That was the only sermon. Super effective. A city which takes three days journey. And one guy comes and preaches one short sermon. And everyone repents. That's the anointing. So anyway, yet 40 days and it never shall be no more. Yet 40 days. <laughs> the Bible says the people of Nineveh did what? Believed God proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then what came to the king and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast had no flock, taste anything. All the chickens were going to go hungry. Do not let them eat or drink water. I think they even didn't water the plants. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Let's, yes, let everyone turn from his evil, his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. That's God for you. Now, you may think, did they need to fast? Maybe not. But they may have been used to their own system of worshipping their gods where the only way to turn it around is you have to give some sacrifices. Because God didn't ask them to fast. God just wanted them to repent, to turn around. But they had their own ideas. I think the king was like, man, this other guy who has come, I don't know which God he serves, but he seems like a serious God. No food, everyone. Nowadays, when we proclaim a fast, dot, dot, dot. <coughs> Them days, it was for real. So God did what God does best. Forgive. Now, think about it. Think about it. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a thing. So, who do you think God used to go and tell those people that it's okay? 
the 40 days thing is not going to work. You're forgiven. Who was it? It must have been the same guy. You've come, you're like, okay, God, it's destruction. We are up to here. Then God is like, okay, go tell them they are forgiven. So you have to deliver the news. Now, let me give you a thing to think about. All of Nineveh must have been in one huge fuchs. Yeah? You know when no one is eating, including the goats, and then the word comes and says, the threat, the threat is over. It's a bit like when, when they send a, a signal around. Uh, here we don't have those disasters. We are blessed. But those cities that are in the pathways of hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and they say, there is an earthquake coming. Everyone and then word comes on the radio. The threat has passed. What, what, there's a collective sigh, right? It was a bit like... <gasps> Citywide collective sigh from Nineveh. But guess where else there was a collective sigh? In heaven. God must have been like... I'm grateful they repented. I'm glad I don't have to do anything. When the lost son came back home, huh? coming to ask for a job, then they tell him, no, 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 no jobs here. Here is your robe. You have your position back. Who, who must have had the big sigh? The son. <gasps> My God, I've been accepted back. But who had the bigger sigh? The father. His son is back. That's the father's heart. That is the father's heart, people. That's the father's heart. But just like in the lost story of the lost son, there is one who wasn't sighing. Who was that? The older son, the guy in the garden is like, what? So, Jonah here, incidentally, <laughs> okay, let's see, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So I prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tashit, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Do you realize why Jonah didn't want to go? He's a prophet. He knows the mind of God. He knew that the moment he goes and those people turn around, God is not going to do it. That's why he didn't want to go. He knew the heart of God. Do you know the heart of God? Do you know that the heart of God is not fault-finding, but rather abundant in mercy? So in Moses' improved version, it was a bit like Jonah looking at God and saying, I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you couldn't do it. That's why I didn't even want to go in the first place. I knew you don't have it in you to kill them, do you? <laughs> That's Jonah talking to God. The guy who was running away. That's why I didn't want to go. You don't, you don't have the guts to harm them. Jonah knew it. And can I tell you the truth? That's the truth. He doesn't have it in him to harm you. There's no way he can practice wrath against you when he put it on Jesus. 
That's not the nature of God. The nature of God is to be abundant in love. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.